Good morning. Kan jy my goed hoor asof by jou liefie? Kan jy dalk hierdie maak nog een bykie harder sit en na die monitor asjeblief? Because I'll be singing and ministering and the kids going. Him and um, it's wonderful to be with you and so I'm going to share just a little bit it's not a teaching it's just a share and we're going to go into worship um, because I, I felt the very same thing what Andre woke up with this morning is, the, is to, to gaze upon to behold the majesty and the beauty and the glory of our Father of our God and um I want to share some thoughts with you and and then adore Him with you. Always, when, we, when we work with our worship teams, we always say to them, worship doesn't start with singing, it starts with seeing. 
It starts with a heart that looks upon Him, that beholds Him, and then lives a life of response to the beauty and the revelation of God. And sometimes singing helps us to see, but seeing is the point. And um, I wanted to put up a, a, a little photo of an elephant uh, for you guys. So that's an elephant bull. And most probably all of you have seen an elephant without it being caged. Uh, most probably all of you. If you live in South Africa, you, you would have had that privilege. But you know, a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, actually, a couple of months ago, uh, we've got, a, we've got a, a, a 412 partnering church in California. And um, one of the leaders there had a bucket list that he always wanted to bring his family to South Africa to come and uh, do a safari and to hunt with these boys. And you know, that's something they've always wanted to do. And we've had these conversations. And um, I, I, I got a phone call about a, a year ago. And he said, please try and organize and arrange. I, I, I want to bring my family to, to South Africa and do a safari. We want to go to the Kruger and we want to hunt as well. And so we did this, just that. And a couple of months ago, they came. We went hunting and... That was quite amazing for them. And then we, they took, well, we had the privilege to my wife as well. They bought our tickets. We flew from Cape Town to Hootspreit. And, and we went for a seven-day uh, all-expenses-paid safari, you know, in the Kruger. But I remember us coming into the park, and the first thing we drove into was an elephant herd. And a massive elephant bull stood by the by the road, and, and uh, Jacques, who's a, a ranger, he's, 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 he leads Sunnydale um, PM, um, he, he was part of the whole journey, and he's got all these facts about elephants, and so we parked the combi, and these Americans are like flies against that window, they have never seen anything this big, I mean, and um, all you could hear them say was, ooh, ah, oh, awesome, amazing. And then the elephant did that with the ears, and it looked a little bit irritated. They were all climbed to the other side of the combi. And, um, but just recognizing the majesty of this beast, this, this uh, seven tons of muscle, you know, in front of them. And so we, 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 we observed this elephant for about 30 minutes. They didn't, want to, they didn't want us to leave. They just wanted to look at the elephant. And, um, and so we, we, we drove off to our camp. But this is now what happened. Day, day two, as we drove out of the camp, we drove into a, a herd of elephants. Day three, day four, every morning when we left camp, we would see elephants. And here at about day six, you, won't, you would have noticed that the oohs and the ahs aren't there anymore. Because somewhere between day one and day six, the elephant has lost its wonder. Where day two, three, they would still say, hey, look, elephants, it just, it just watered down, right? And here, right at the end, they would see elephants, but not even say we're seeing an elephant. It completely, because it became so familiar to them, it lost the wonder. Amen. And they stopped asking questions about elephants. So this is not a lecture on elephants, but some interesting facts about elephants is um, 
And I thought I'd read it to you. Is that okay? And then we'll, we'll jump into the word. <laughs> you know that an elephant trunk has about 40,000 muscles. 40,000 muscles. I, I think the human body has about 600 or somewhere there. It's got 400,000 neurons. That trunk weighs, can easily weigh over 100 kilograms. It can lift 400 kilograms with that trunk. Smell water up to 10 kilometers far, even if it's underground. Right? This is absolutely of no use, but an elephant's tongue weighs about 14 kilograms. <laughs> His head, that head is 400 kilograms of awesomeness. And, and so I can continue about elephants, right? But you see what happened. When I, when, I, when, I, when I put up that little picture of the elephant, just like the Americans, you looked and it was nice, but because you're familiar with the elephant, it just didn't really grab you that much. But when I started unpacking these facts about it, most probably all of you, eyes went back to the elephant and you looked at that trunk and you thought, 40,000 muscles in that trunk? And wonder slowly but surely started coming back. That thing that was so familiar, there's a new and a fresh spark again. Thank you, you can take off the picture. But, and so what happens a lot of times in our journey with God is the same thing. We're, familiar, we're so familiar with Him in a sense that He loses His wonder. And we, and we stop discovering the majesty of God. And when you stop discovering Him, you get bored. And when you get bored, you're on your way to compromise. And, 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 and so the encouragement this morning is that God is looking for a people that will constantly be discovering His beauties and nature and attributes and character excellencies. He's looking for a people whose heart would be full of wonder when it comes to Him. A people who does not have dull hearts and dull eyes. But there's a sparkle, there's a flame. A people that really is beholding their God. Tozer said the most important thing about man is what comes into his mind when he thinks about God. Who he is he and what is he like? And I'll get into a little story now, but a beautiful picture of who God is by nature, eternally, is revealed to us in John 17, verse 24, where Jesus says, The Father has loved me before the foundations of the earth. So if you were to ask the question, what was God like before anything created? And what was He busy doing? Jesus gives us a little, a little veil opening moment right there. And He said, eternally God has been a Father loving a Son. And eternally God has been a son loving his father in and through and by 
the Spirit. You see, before he was judge, before he was creator, before he was master, before all those things, he was father. And an outgoing father, a father that loved another eternally. And some of us, you've, you need to move your point of reference to, to God because some of you, when you were born again, the, the God, you, your revelation of God probably could be creator or master or Lord. And He is that. But you were in His heart long before you were born. I love it in Isaiah 46. God speaks to the nation of Israel. And he says to her, I held you long before you were born. And I will hold you when you're old and gray. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. And there's a rediscovering of this beautiful father. And without the rediscovering of that of this beautiful Father, our Christianity will always be on a 50%. Never on a 100. You see, it's one thing to talk about what we've been saved out of. It's another thing to discover what we've been saved into. And what you have been saved into, Jesus reveals that in John 17 where he says, And now that the Father has given me authority to give eternal life, and then Jesus defines the eternal life that he's been given authority to give. Just in the very next verse that he says, And this is eternal life, that you may know the Father. So the eternal life that Jesus is giving is his eternal sonship. He's, you are now you can now know the Father the way He knows the Father. You can now be loved by the Father the way He is loved by the Father. You are now sharing in His sonship when it comes to the Father. That's what you've been saved into. I'm, I'm not talking about that today. But to know the Father intimately. To know the Father intimately. And so this morning I wanted to speak about one aspect of the Father to you. And I would love to bring it unbalanced, if I may, so that we can have just eyes on, on, on the, the beauty of God. And just for a moment, like taking in a fresh drink of water, just enjoy it, be immersed in it, be undone by it, the beauty of God. Are you guys still with me? And, um, and I want to talk about the mercy of God. And I can't ever do that subject justice. Maybe when, when I'm Richard's age, should I say age, wisdom, when I'm as wise as you, I, I, may, I may have a better chance of unpacking the, the glory of the mercy of God. But the fact that he's merciful, Paul actually calls him the father of all mercies. Father of all mercies. 
David would say, his mercies are new every morning. And those new mercies every morning are born of the Father's heart every day. He's the source of those mercies that are new every morning. And I was reading a little book that inspired me so much. And in this book, he was talking about Paul, Paul calling God the Father of all mercies. He said, I want to give you a picture of who this God is by nature. Who he is if you were to cut him, his innermost being. He says, you will find a father sitting on the edge of his seat with excitement, waiting for any opportunity to be merciful. I love when David writes in the Psalms and he says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, who shall stand before you? But with you there is forgiveness. He's so different. He's so other than God who delights in showing mercy, in love. You know what has happened a lot of times in church? We've compartmentalized the, 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 the natures or the excellencies or the glories or the attributes of God. Like it's one pie, but we cut it into little slices. So he's holy and he's kind and he's loving and he's a judge and he's, he's all... The problem with that is you can never look at holiness without looking at love. And you can never look at love without looking at His holiness and His kindness. He is all those things all the time, eternally. How many times have you heard, and please, I don't want to step on toes, but I want, to, I want, I want, to, I want you to marvel this morning at, the, at the, the majesty of His mercy and His kindness and His gentleness, as David would say. He's gentle, patient. In all his wisdom. You know, many times I've heard people, especially in a church context, we would speak of the love of God, and then they would say, but remember, he's holy to you. You see, when, when God is merciful, he's not compromising his holiness. When God is merciful, it's the overflow, it's the fullness of His holiness. The other day, someone came to me and he said, but remember, I was speaking about the kindness of God. And they came to me and they said, but remember, He's holy and to be feared. I said, why is the kindness of God not a trembling matter? Holiness is everything desirable in our God. He doesn't have mood swings. There's no cold side to Him and a warm side to Him. And be careful of the cold side of God. He's not like us. And in my limited understanding of the otherness of God and the holiness of God, the fact that He's set apart, in what way is our God set apart in this? We are unkind, selfish, impatient, bitter, envious, angry. I have, the list can go on. 
he's set apart in this way, that he's kind, patient. His anger is slow. He's gentle. Everything about him is desirable. When you love him, it's the, you know, there's a, we had a prayer time the, the other day at church and, and, and someone spoke about, you know, obedience. We need to obey God. And something just flared up in my heart and I, and I, and I, and I had an opportunity to share and to say to them, there's an, there's an obeying because of fear, but there's a better obeying. It's the obeying because of love. And that obeying is joyful. It's full of joy. And I want to take you to a portion of Scripture this morning. I'm going to read out of Luke 15. Are you guys still with me? So I'm, now, now it's going to go quickly. And... Um, and we're going to go into worship. And um, I'm going to read the story of the prodigal son that we are all familiar with. But this is not really the story of the prodigal son. This is really a story that Jesus is telling to reveal the nature of his father. To reveal the nature of his father. And I want us to read verse 11. You don't have to read with me uh, on the board. I didn't give her the verses. And there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. In other words, he, this young man is very arrogant. He's very rebellious. He goes to his father while his father is still alive. And what he's saying to his father is, I can't wait for you to die and then get my inheritance. I want to live my life the way I want to live it right now. And I don't have time. So can I have my share of the inheritance while you are still alive? That's, that, that's what this rebellious son, is, is, that's his request. What he's saying to his father, what that father, what that father is, you have no value to me. Only what I can get from you is important. And I want that now. I have no interest in the family business. I want to go do my own thing. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out one of the, of, of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. So this rebellious son has now spent his whole inheritance on parties, on drinking, on women, on everything he, his heart wanted. And he's got 
nothing. So he makes a plan and he finds work feeding the pigs of one of the farmers. But it's not a kind farmer. Because in the story you will find that he was without food. And he was longing to be fed with the pots that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. He's got nothing and he's starving. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here without hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer, listen to this, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So this rebellious son, hungry, empty, lonely, broken, broke, he makes a plan. He says, I can go back home and if I can convince my father not even to receive me as a son, if I can convince him to take me on as a servant, as a hireling, as an employee on his farm, at least I know I'll have something to eat tonight. At least I know I'll have something, somewhere to sleep tonight. Because he's good. He's good to his household. He's good to his servants. And so there he goes. And he arose and came to his, his father. But listen to this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. So in the Hebrew, in the Greek, when you, when, you, when, you, when you look at that construction of that sentence, it, 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 it has this notion within it that the father would go to the same place every single day to look to see if his son would come back. And that particular day, he went to look again. He saw him. And he had compassion. And for that word compassion, we don't have an English word to describe the emotion that took place within the Father. It was a violent sorrow. Violent sorrow. It was a violent emotion. It's not just compassion. Something violent happened within the heart of this father when he saw his son. And he ran and embraced him and he kissed him. And you know it was shameful for an, uh, an old man probably a wealthy man to run he didn't run. But that father took his little skirt and probably lifted it. And with those two old legs, he was running. But you know what happened while he was running? People didn't see the son full of shame coming back. Their eyes turned towards the father who's running. And he took the shame that was supposed to be on the boy. He took it upon him. But he ran his boy you know why this story is so scandalous and we'll continue unpacking it now 
You know why the story is so scandalous in the day that Jesus spoke it? Because Jesus is telling this story to Pharisees. And it's shocking me for them because still in this, in the day of Jesus, when he was speaking this parable, the Pharisees had to uphold the Jewish law. And the Jewish law in the day of Jesus was Deuteronomy 20, 21. How to deal with the rebellious son. Can I read that to you? This was the law in the day of Jesus. This is what was supposed to happen to that boy. That's why the story is so scandalous. If a man has a stubborn and a rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, Our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and an alcoholic. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. In the day of Jesus, the appropriate way to deal with that rebellious son was a stoning to death at the gate of the city where they lived. And through that stoning of that rebellious boy, it will purge all the rebellion of all the other boys because they will look at the stoning and you know what I'm saying? But here's the picture. Here's why this is so scandalous. So the father interrupts the stoning of the son awaiting him at the gate. Mercy interrupted the justice that was due to the rebellious son. Mercy interrupted. The father was more committed to mercy than to justice in that moment. And before that son could set foot back, he restored him in full. Listen to this. I'll go further. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, listen to this, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring quickly. And this thing wounded me when I saw it. This father committed to mercy. This, this merciful father that's interrupting the justice, waiting, the rebellious son, doesn't give that boy a chance to familiarize himself with a servant in his father's house. See, go get that robe quickly before the son of mine familiarize himself as an employee, as a servant, as a hireling in my house. Before that becomes his identity, let me restore him. 
fully. Go get the robe and the ring and the shoes. Before he can identify himself wrongly, let me restore him in his worth as my son. A worthy son. And the father said to the servants, go get the fattened calf. We're having a party. My boy has come back. Fully restored. That story is such a beautiful story of the mercy of God. The nature of God. A father on the edge of his seat looking to interrupt where justice is waiting. A father looking to be merciful. A father wanting to show mercy. That is who he is by nature. And there's some of you here, as I was sharing, you have misidentified yourself as a hireling in the house when you came to him. And he wants to restore you back to what you really are. A son worthy to be loved and a daughter worthy to be loved. Some of you, he wants to put a robe back on you. Some of you, he wants to give you a ring again. Some of you, he just wants to bring you close to him. What an impactful picture of the nature of God. I was thinking about it. You know, we miss it. We read these stories. I just got stuck with the father kissing his boy. When last did you see God that way? A father kissing his boy. When last did you have an encounter with that father? With that gentle heart? The other day, I've got three kids. I told you the last time. And my youngest is the wild one. He's three years old. He's wild. But the other day, something so beautiful, you know. He was, um, I was playing and worshiping on stage. And he came running onto the stage. And he came and he kissed me on my leg a couple of times. Then he would run off again. When Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman in John 4 about worship, he's saying, a time will come and has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father. In spirit and in truth, for such the Father seeks to worship Him. Are you with me? That word worship there is the word proskineu. Do you know what that word means? To come close and kiss. You can't kiss from afar. You can blow a kiss from afar. But you can't kiss from afar. Jesus was was giving the notion of intimacy, close, face to face with him. His beautiful father. 
His beautiful heart. And I know that I know. Obviously there's consequences for sin and all these things. And each one of us are on a new journey and on a unique path. But the Father in His heart of hearts is longing to show you mercy. He's longing to pull you close. He's longing to restore you in your worth as His son and His daughter. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, and full of mercy. David would ring that in the Psalms again and again and again. Do you remember, and I'm closing with this and we're going to worship. Do you remember when, when God went and he got his people out of Egypt? 400 years, they now no longer has an they no longer have an identity as a nation. Their identity is now that they are slaves of this tyrant Pharaoh who demands and takes and rapes and kills. And now God comes and He saves them out of the clutches of that tyrant, that evil man, and He brings them to a little mountain. I love that. I mean, I'm not going to read the scriptures, but he speaks to them, speaks to Moses. He says, go tell the people. I am kind and gentle, merciful, slow to anger, rich in love. I'm good. And then he gave the priests the blessing to speak over the people. When God revealed his name to them. And do you know why he did that? Because as slaves, they were under the hand of an evil man who took and took and took and took. Now he's gathering his people and he's saying, tell them, I am the God who bless, whose face will shine upon, who will hedge you in and protect you. And that word blessing is the word barak, which means to come very low underneath and to give a gift. And what he was saying to his people, I'm going to make you a holy nation. And the first step to you becoming a holy nation is I will put my name on you, my nature on you. And the first step to me putting my nature on you is that you would see me truly, rightly for who I am. And I am not like Pharaoh. I'm not like him. I'm different in this way. I'm coming to give you life. I'm coming to hit you in. I'm coming to be merciful. To be gentle with you. To be kind to you. This is who I am. Will you love me? That's our God. That's our God. That's who he is. How then, when you see him, can you still hold on to your own life? How then, when you see him, can you only give little in worship? How, when you see him, can you not obey in joy? You see him for who he truly is. 
Psalm 145, David would write and he would say, On the splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. I will give my eyes no rest in its searching out your glories and your beauties. He is a beautiful God, far beyond our English language. It, its ability to describe His beauty.